Brittany Ross, and I play the fiddle. I'm Catherine Flincham, and I play the pipe. And together, we are Fiddle and Pipe. Two classical musicians who are reading and discussing topics beyond the staff. So grab a book, take a seat, and tune in. It is. I said today like five times in that sentence. You also mixed up the 60s with the 90s, so it's been a long day. (laughs) If y'all are really interested in hearing me mess up dates from the mid to late 1900s, go check out our Patreon. But why is today special? Today is special because we have three, not one, but three guests. You know what's really funny? What? is that we make up three-fifths of this podcast. <gasps> oh! oh my god. Oh, oh no. We can't say that. We're too fired to <laughs> Good night. I'm done. Oh, yeah. Damn. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> if you do not keep that, you put that somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> That's the preview clip. Are people going to get that? They better. They better. Study black out. history, they will. They better. <laughs> we are joined today by three co-hosts of mm, Conversations. We have Matt Richards and Tim Marshall and Nayara Calendar from China. Yes. You're like a whole day ahead of us right now? Yes, I'm coming to you from the future at nine o'clock in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> Good on you for getting up and starting a podcast with us. Yeah, seriously. What is it, 10 o'clock? Almost 11 o'clock, never mind. Oh, sorry. But yes, it's, it's exciting. It's 8 o'clock here. It's friggin' 9.45 yeah, over here. I'm like, is it bedtime yet? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> eating breakfast, and we're drinking beers and eating chips. <laughs> so, wow, I can't believe you made that three-fifths joke. I'm still kind of shook. That honestly. is... I, I'm Man. actually proud of that one. Wow. It was... It was good. I actually like that one. So speaking of three-fifths... Today we're talking about math. Oh, I suck at math. Yay, thank you. How did y'all deal with this? Honestly, at this point, he's my friend more for, like, pity than for actually valuing the French. (laughs) (laughs) Damn. I just got assaulted. besides me. I just got assaulted. (laughs) In this heart right here. Poor Matt. He's my, got my Bartok. Heart. He's got Valkyrie. It's okay. Valkyrie Valkyrie will come play with me if I ask. I don't know. She's pretty occupied right now. <laughs> I guess I should let you introduce the show then. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I guess today we're talking about being a musician while also being black. Oh, Specifically... A classically trained musician. Yeah, what a time. Yeah. So I think it might be best for our listeners if y'all go around and introduce what you do within the classical music community. I mean, obviously, y'all are black. So we have that. (laughs) But we have three very different perspectives within the black community. We have a black man who's straight. We have a black man who's gay. And we have a black woman. Touching all the bases. Touching all the bases right now. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah, seriously. For real. 
How about we start with the ladies first? Oh, oh that would be me. So, <laughs> Thank you for yes, in case you were wondering. Um, so I... Chill the fuck out. <laughs> I know. I'm right about these pets. There's so many animals around me, too. I'm like, who's going to make the most noise first? Everyone seems okay now, but who knows? It's Valkyrie. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm sorry, Nate. No, it's okay. So I'm a singer, a vocalist. I consider myself more of a classical vocalist, but kind of in this weird place where I'm not like an opera classical person. I'm more of the choir side of things. And so I am a choir teacher and I am all about pedagogical loveliness that is the voice classically. And yeah, I think it's kind of where I am. Choir person, choir singer, choir teacher. Nice. My name is Matt. I'm all about that bass. No cello. So funny thing, actually, I did grow up playing bass, but I play the other string instruments more than bass now. So take that as you will. As a kid, I started with piano. When I got to fourth grade, I picked up the bass because I wanted the biggest instrument. And my mom was like, you sure? And I was like, yeah, I'm sure. You know, I'm going to have to look that thing around. And I was like... That's because you love me, mom. I went to school for string education, and I am also a teacher on the strings side. Very classically trained. I haven't ventured much into the side of things like jazz or improv or other genres like that. I'm more strictly like the classical repertoire that you would learn if you were trying to play in maybe a community orchestra or something like that. So that's me. Well, hi, I'm Tim. Hi, Tim. Hi, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> I am also a vocalist on the classical side, of course. I'm an opera singer in the Atlanta area. So yeah, there's not really much to it than that, <laughs> you know? Ooh, I like that you say in the Atlanta area. I'm an opera singer yeah. of the Atlanta area. Shout outs to the opera. Shout outs to Tim and his performances. Dabbled in musical theater a little bit and other things here and there, but mostly, like Nayara said, mostly classically trained. I also teach private lessons, so I'm kind of a teacher, not a public school teacher, but. You're still a teacher, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah, most of us musicians end up having to teach in some form. Yeah. To start off this conversation, I guess we'll start with, like, the most obvious. Again, obviously, all of you are Black. All of you are in classical music. How has that impeded you? Or has it? And in what sense and what scope? I'll go first. Um, Do it. I think it's a weird combination of it's kind of been helpful, but not in a necessarily great way. I'll explain, but I think when people find out that I'm a classical vocalist, it's surprising for some people. And so the fact that I'm a classical vocalist who is Black is like, oh, wow, how cool. So then I feel like I have opportunities because of that. But also, I don't think that's necessarily a great thing. Like, I think that it's good, but not. I don't know how to explain that. <laughs> it's good for you in the sense that you're getting work. Right. But mm-hmm. you're like, okay, is this the only reason you're valuing me? Like, am I just a diversity yeah. quota? Yes, yeah. exactly. It's like the fact that they're surprised always takes me aback a little bit. Like, thank you for the opportunity, but also why is it surprising in 2022 that there is a black female 
classical vocalist, right? But also I've dabbled in community choirs here and there when I lived in Korea and now living in China. Each choir I've been in, there's at least been one experience where somebody expected me to try out for the jazzy solo or like the belty solo. Yeah, they ask you, do you sing jazz or? Yeah, take the lead on a gospel piece that we're doing. Do you do runs? Yeah, expecting me to be the solo with the runs with ad-libbing, which I am terrible at ad-libbing. And so these are things that I guess people assume black singers can do, but I prefer kind of to be in the background as a blended in classical choir singer. It's wild. I've had a director say that, oh, I've chose this piece because I want you to do the solo, but the director hadn't heard me sing before. And so I'm like, so you're just assuming that I can do this when I can't because I'm black. Opportunity, yes. That's right. Right. The opportunity is there, but the way it came about isn't the best way. Yeah, Right. for sure. I am kind of fortunate in that I play bass and black bass players are like common, I guess. It's not a surprise to people when you're a black guy and you're like, oh yeah, I play bass. And I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense. But for me, it's always like, I was the kid walking around in elementary school enjoying classical music. I was that nerd. And that threw everybody off. They were like, why aren't you listening to Outcast? Yeah. <laughs> no, throw it all the way back. Yeah, no. Seriously. But I mean, I, 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 exactly. When I listen to Outcast. No, I say Outcast specifically because that was one of the first hip hop songs or groups I ever heard was Outcast. But no, I was the person listening to classical music for fun, and everybody was like, "Who's this weird little kid listening to friggin' Dvorak?" And I think that's a thing that throws people off when they see a black man who just likes to listen to classical music just for the hell of it. It's almost like I want to say it's like that's not something you would expect by just looking at someone like that. And like you were saying there, it's like that's not how it should be, but that's how people have grown up to just think Because, you know, you think classical music, you think old white dudes. That's just the instant perception. Mm -hmm. But for me, especially with string instruments, similarly, there are a lot of opportunities that come just from being a black string player. They have entire community groups that are for people of color only. And it... Yeah, or like orchestra noir, things Mm -hmm. like that. In a way, I kind of appreciate those things because it's like it helps me connect with other black people who are that way. Because as a kid, I didn't have that. All the black kids were looking at me like, you ain't black. Mm -hmm. Use the whitest black kid over there. The Oreo. Yeah, exactly. And I grew up with that. And I, I know. Like I definitely used to say shit like that when I was right. a kid, but now I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. that's disgusting. Yeah, and I'm just now realizing yeah. how damaging that was to me. Yeah. I always took it as a joke yes. as a kid, mm-hmm. but like recently I've been coming to terms with the fact, like, no, that kind of screwed me up a little bit. But now, like I was saying, it's like being able to perform with people who have similar interests like that is a very helpful thing. And it kind of lets you know that there's this entire community here for people who 
have chosen that career path essentially. Right. Mhm. And the school I work at is mostly black, so. So do you feel like being black in that situation helps you? Yeah. In a way, yes, because they see a role model who looks like them, but I mean, not to toot my own horn, but I've been told I'm very well spoken. Imagine that. I know. <laughs> it helps to have someone who. It's like you're that person that you needed right. when you were young. Because there has to be kids at your school who are like that too. Yeah, it's an influence that shows you you don't have to just be something because you see this is what you see. Like, because right. even though I am black and I relate to them, I'm still very different from them in a lot of ways. So it's just a different side of what a black man is like or capable of. Right. To piggyback. Oh, I hate when people say that. Oh, it's piggyback. <laughs> I want to piggyback off of you. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I think also it's good because when I, well, I started like going to school with like a mostly white school. So when I came to middle school, it was mostly black and Hispanic kids. And so... I was also that kid that was the Oreo. And so in my school, though, other black teachers were a lot like the other kids in my school, like very similar culturally. And so there wasn't ever really another black teacher that I saw that was kind of similar to me. And so it's cool that your students get to see another side of what blackness means. Because blackness is what? Doesn't really have a definition, right? Exactly. And so to show that it's so diverse is a great thing. So that's awesome. You get to be that. Yeah. Because I was told all my life, like, to listen to classical music, that's not black. To, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know, whatever I was doing wasn't black enough for them. So it's creating a new perception. Or and Bartok. Yeah. Bartok is actually black, too. Ooh. So <laughs> Bartok, Bartok is, black is too. here to offer his experience being a black cat in America. This is Bartok. Yes. <laughs> Hey, being a black cat is hard. I was about to say, that's it a is. legit, like, thing. I know, there's all hey. this stigma against their bad luck. That, that's... Mm -hmm. adopted than other yeah, that's mm -hmm. just... That's just discrimination. I have met only one black cat that I was surprised got adopted, and it screeches like a freaking banshee every time you look at it. Like, it screeches. And I was like, that does not need to be adopted. <laughs> it was like a friend's, it was a friend's cat of mine. Yeah. Sorry, I have to move for a second to plug in my computer. Hey, you look kind of peppy. I am peppy because I just drank a cup of coffee from La Belle Rosette Espresso and Wine Bar. That's in Denver, right? Yep. We are located right across the street from the University of Denver. And do they have more than just espresso and wine? Yeah, we have breakfast burritos, paninis, pastries, teas. We have a lot. If someone was walking through Denver and let's say this person was me and let's say I wanted a panini, when is LaBelle open so I can go and get one? We are open from 7 to 5 Monday through Friday, 7 to 2 on Saturdays, 8 to 2 on Sundays. And if you use the code FPPODCAST, you'll get 15% off your order, whether you're in store or online at labellerosette.com. That's a really good deal. Totally a good deal, and it's even a better deal when you get to see moi at the store. Is that a good deal? Uh, not really, but I actually need to head to work right now because I'm going to be late. Oh. So I'm going to go. Go to La Belle Rosette. Go. Bye. Right now. Drop <laughs> everything. Go. about that what were we talking about i'm talking about being black or something i'm back and my computer's plugged in thank god
Yeah, we haven't heard I Tim's yeah, perspective Tim's yet. Yeah. Cool. Tim's next. So, honestly, you were both talking, and Mayor was talking about like how she hates to piggyback, but I'm about to like piggyback. <laughs> Tim's on our back already. Double piggyback. Yeah, but starting <laughs> off with what Mayor said about people being shocked about like when you say that you're a classically trained singer or you're you know you do stuff like that. I was just talking about in their patron episode about how I started at this new job and I would let them know, oh yeah, outside of work, I sing opera. And of course, the first thing you hear is like, really, black people do that? You know? And and like I said in the patron episode, we've been doing it for over a hundred years. <laughs> um, I think I was looking it up and like the earliest opera singer, I can't remember her name, but she started like in the late 1800s. The earliest recorded one, by that's the way. Insane. That's not even like... And so wow. we've been doing this for a very long time. And even now, there's so many of us. And so many that are so like... So many. Have legit international careers, too. Not even just like, oh, you know, like me, like a local singer. And like a lot of people I know. But these are like people who travel around and they do this for a living. Like this is the only thing they do. Mm-hmm. I try not to get offended by when people say that, but it's still just like, ugh, like really. Yeah, it's like black people do a lot of things. Like, why are you surprised? Exactly. It's not even yeah. about like, of course you don't have to know about these things to be like, of course, yeah, black people do that. But it's just like, it's the same thing as if I was like, if I was a black person, I was like, yeah, I'm an astronaut or like, I'm a doctor or I'm a lawyer or right. I'm a janitor. It's like, everyone is capable of anything. So. Yeah, like imagine if we went up to a white person they were yeah. like... I'm a teacher or something. And you were like, white people do that? Yeah. Right. It wouldn't happen. Yeah. It doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. Exactly. White people are hip-hop artists. Yeah, I know. There's white Probably rappers. Yeah. There's Indian rappers. I mean, there is. M&M's a huge... Yeah. Exactly. But you'll never hear someone be like, white people do that? No, well, no but you do. But you, but you know they do. But you have heard people say that, too. But it's mm-hmm. like, I thought this was a black people thing. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. That's true. Well, it's like the same with any art, like ballet. Misty Copeland is like what? She's like the top ballerina? Um, mm-hmm. I think it's pronounced ballet. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I never done it I, before. I could be wrong. It, I'm only it, it's it's ballet <laughs> and Oprah. Ballet. Ballet. With a hard T. Ballet. <laughs> yeah. But it's like with every art form, like in ballet, Misty Copeland, I think she's like the first. I think she's the first first principal lead ballerina. That's the position name. Yeah, I don't know what they call it. Prima ballerina. Prima ballerina. That is it. That's it. The prime ballerina. Had ballerina. Yeah. First violin ballerina. (laughs) Yeah, basically. (laughs) The concert master of the ballet. Yeah. The concert master for ballet. The principal. Yeah, the principal ballerina. Exactly. Exactly. Principal ballerina. (laughs) Or something like cheerleading when because there's a dude in my school who's in seventh grade who does cheerleading i'm sure people have come up to him and like you're a guy and you do cheerleading are you gay i think he is but like no i mean but i'm sure I'm <laughs> but I, yeah i'm sure I'm that's sure the, that that's is the, the other first question <laughs> but mm-hmm. if he's not i mean that's where all the girls are so that's i all mean I'm honestly it takes so much strength to be oh, a yeah, male cheerleader because you're the right. bottom of all of those foundation mm-hmm. 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 i'm pretty sure woody was a cheerleader I have a distinct memory where we talked about this, where he said he was a cheerleader. I think it was just for girls. Huh. Eighth grade, huh. you know. That- <laughs> As you do. <laughs> Middle school. 
Nayara, I wanted to ask you, currently live in China. You've lived there for how many years? Two, three? Five years. Five, okay, a lot more. Two plus three. <laughs> Two plus three. <laughs> and then you lived in Korea before that, right? Mm-hmm. Have you experienced more resistance as a black woman being in the Asian countries versus like the US? Or is it about equal or... And especially in terms of like music, but yeah. I mean, also it could be in the grand scheme of things. Resistance, no. Curiosity, hesitancy, a little, but resistance, no. Compared to the U.S., because the way I kind of phrase it in music, but kind of in everything, it's like the U.S. has, there's a lot of um, uh, institutionalized racism, mm-hmm. where out here in Asia, there's none of that. There's none. It, there's racism, but it's not throughout the whole system of the society. So it's easier to overcome. So if there's a racist person, it's easy because it's probably because I haven't had an experience with somebody of color before. And so by talking to me, being nice to them, usually if they have racism or are hesitant about me, that kind of goes away immediately after a couple minutes of conversation. Or back home, it's so ingrained in everything, every place you go, everyone you meet, Everything you do, racism is ingrained. It's that we don't even notice it. But out here, it's a lot more obvious. And so it's easier to overcome. And so in the musical sphere, there's been a lot more of initial shock. Like, oh, you're a classical singer. Oh, and they kind of assume that I must be really, really good in my brain. It's like, because I'm a black classical singer, I must be really, really good because there probably isn't many of us, right? I think that's the assumption. Often it's met with like, oh, you're a black classical singer. Oh my goodness. Like, I mean, I can't legally, I can't make money from doing anything in singing. So people ask me, I kind of have to say no or volunteer or just do community choir stuff. But yeah, often people will say like, oh, do you perform here? Like, oh, have you thought about doing this here? And it's met with excitement and curiosity more so than resistance, which is nice. But again, it's 2022 and I don't care what country you're in. <laughs> it's, uh, it shouldn't be shocking that I'm a black singer, but it does provide opportunity and the chance to get let people know that it does happen and that black people are pretty cool because people of color are pretty cool mm-hmm. and pretty normal. We are. Yeah. So, we are. Yeah, we do. We, yeah. we out here <laughs> in these streets. I found it a lot more comfortable living in Asia in general than living back home. That's really interesting. That's like the exact opposite of what I was thinking it would be. Mm, Me too. Before I moved, me too. It's genuinely because of the institutionalized racism back home. I kind of had a little bit of knowledge about this, like just very slight. And this is when I went to Beijing with the orchestra back in my freshman year at KSU. And I remember the Confucius Institute that KSU, I guess, was like correlated with at the time. The guy that came in and was basically telling us about the Chinese culture, I forgot his name because it was 2011 and I did not process anything from back in that day. (laughs) I'm so old. But he was black and he was telling us, oh, if you're black, then everyone's going to come up to you and ask you questions and stuff like that when you're walking around the city. Like, do you guys remember Jared? Yep. No. He came up to me on the train one time because I had somebody come up to me and they wanted to take my picture at the Great Wall with their family because I had red hair. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. (laughs) Like, they're like, we like your hair. And I was like, thank you. And they're like, can you take our picture? And then I took their picture and then I was in their family photo. So um, that happened. But (laughs) yeah, but 
I was talking about that with Jared on the train, and I think he mentioned something about a similar situation happened to him, either at the Great Wall or somewhere in Beijing when we were there. But I just remember, like, that was one of the things that the guy was telling us about. He was saying that, like, in China, there's not many people of color that live there, especially, I guess, like, in most cities. And he was like, if you guys get asked questions or if you guys get photos taken of you like i've been in plenty of family photos before you're on somebody's mantle like, oh, right okay. now somebody has you up on their <laughs> wall framed yeah <laughs> i just found it interesting because i was sitting there and i was like nobody does that in america like ever mm-hmm. it was interesting to me like it was a definite culture shock in general but that yeah. was just something i found really interesting that definitely definitely happens still it gets old <laughs> but i found that it's mostly mm-hmm. when you go to bigger cities and it's during a holiday or something where other Chinese people from cities wow. where there's not much diversity come to visit. Those are the people taking pictures. Like I've been living kind of out in the countryside for five years and by now people are so used to foreigners around that that doesn't happen. I don't even get a second glance. But if I go to Shanghai during Chinese New Year, I'm going to get tons of pictures because people from other places without many foreigners come by. So that happens a lot. Mm -hmm. But that's also usually aggressively done. It's more out of, oh, I've never seen a person like that. Let me get a picture. It does get old though. I'm just like, listen, what do you want a picture of me for? I learned how to say like, if you want a picture of me, it's 200 RMB. So people ask me for a picture and I'm like, hey, give me 200 bucks and then I'll take a picture with you. And then they're like, oh. Has anyone paid you for it? Fair. 200 RMB <laughs> One time a guy looked at me and in Chinese he goes, really? And I was like, no. You should have said yes. I know, right? <laughs> I know. I should have said he yes. He had it out. He was yeah. handing it to like, you. You should have been like, like yeah, yeah okay. give me the $200 <laughs> for my feet or something. Sure, like but like... I should have said that. But it kind of, I found that it kind of opens people up to the fact that if I can speak Chinese a little bit, they stop assuming that I'm like a prop and are like, oh, it's a human being like me. It kind of like shatters that glass of, oh, yeah, this is just another person. Going back to institutionalized racism, since that is a big deal in the country that most of us live in. And the country that all of us are from. What country is that? <laughs> the grand old U.S. of A. <laughs> Woohoo! America. America. Would you all say that institutionalized racism sets up a lot of barriers for black musicians? For sure. Mm-hmm. I will back up to 2020. And funny enough, I am wearing the shirt of the show we did in 2020 with the Atlanta You're wearing Opera. a brown Porgy and Bess shirt. That's amazing. Porgy and Bess. <laughs> yeah. Which just happens to be an all-black show with a couple of spoken white people parts. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I hate it when white people speak on the side. <laughs> what I'm going to talk about is kind of what happened around that time and then also what happened during the show that kind of peeved me off, but I just kind of let it fall off me. So first of all, we were doing the show. And again, of course, this is an all black show. So the hard part about that is finding people to be in the chorus in a major production like that, because- Like at that level? Yeah, at that level. Because when you, at least for me, I've been singing with the Atlanta Opera Chorus for six years. Oh my God, six years. Anyways. We're old. Wow. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. We are. <laughs> I could truly, like, count on my hands the number of black people that are normally in the shows, in the chorus at least. And that's not enough people to do a porgy and this. Mm-hmm. It's not. So How many people do you need yeah. in a full? So, I think we have, like, 
probably all close to 40. And that's still kind of low. Because if you think about, like, for example, the Met was doing the show at the same time, the Metropolitan Opera was doing the, the show at the same time that we did it, we were the singers, we were the dancers, we were the extras, we were all of that. Uh -huh. When the Met did it, oh, all that was separated. So you had the chorus, which of course was massive mm -hmm. because the Met chorus mm -hmm. has to be massive to fill up that space. You had the dancers, which is another group of people. You had extras, which is another group of people. It takes a lot, so I was very shocked when we finally got everyone there. It took a little time, but at least specifically the men, because it's kind of a rare thing to find male opera singers and whatnot. So it just took a while. So, but one of the things that kind of upset me is like, you know, we're singing through stuff. And of course it sounds amazing because, you know, you're not going to get hired to sing at the Atlanta Opera if you sound like poo. Mm -hmm. Our director, and this is not a knock at him or anything. He said, man, y'all sound really good. We need to have y'all on for other shows. And it's just like, yeah. Why Who's not? in charge of that? Oh. Yeah. Wow. And I know he wasn't trying to be rude. He was trying to give a compliment. But in turn, it ended up being like a backwards compliment. Yeah, in context. Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. No, seriously. Who's in charge of that? I don't know if he is specifically in charge of that, but... That'd be like a personnel manager if y'all have one. Yeah. So, which I think now we do. Because before that, I think he was doing that and being the chorus master mm -hmm. for... That's that institutionalized racism coming through. Yeah. Where it's just so ingrained in society yeah. that we say things without even noticing that it's racist. Yeah. yeah. That's really interesting that that, yeah. that point would even be made because when I brought up the whole, hey, let's talk about institutionalized racism, I was thinking more like the lack of access to education and mm -hmm. lack of finances to be able to afford. Because let's be honest, music is a luxury item. Mm -hmm. So the people that are going to be mm -hmm. more likely to afford it are people who are affluent, which tend to be people who are white. And then under that, maybe people who are Asian and Indian. Not so much like black and Hispanic. The education side of things is interesting because I feel like a lot of institutions, it almost feels like they're trying to fill a quota. Like we have to have a certain number of people of color in our institutions so we look diverse. And so we wonder, is it a question of talent or is it a question of we're just letting people in because we want that diversity quota and we want that diversity money. Going off of that, I think yeah. that's a problem. I think we say piggybacking on this podcast. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yes, here piggyback. we piggyback. <laughs> yeah. I want to say piggybank, not piggybacking. <laughs> Pig, piggybanking <laughs> off of you. That's more original. <laughs> to piggyback. So if, I, if that happens, just letting y'all know. <laughs> I'm actually going to say that now. <laughs> Yeah, that's but, I mean, that's a problem because then you have that that issue of when that that student that kid gets into whatever said institution, they're having to hear from some asshat being like, "Yeah, you only got in here because of the color of your skin." Mm -hmm. Like you know, da -da 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 -da. Mm -hmm. this goes into another totally separate issue. But you know, a lot of times with singing, I would hear, "Oh yeah, you only got that because you're a guy," and that's not a lot. There's not a lot of guys who sing, so boom. Like, you got a part because of that. And it's just like, I mean, I got it because I'm a badass bitch. Because <laughs> I so practiced. Because yeah. I prepared um, for the audition. like Right. But, oh, yeah, it's easier for you because it's a guy. Okay. Well, Whatever. But, I mean, it's kind of that same issue, you know, that comes up with that. It really sucks. <laughs> so it's like, then that kid has to, like, validate 
them being accepted into this program exactly when they were good enough to get in. and that goes back to the whole thing the parents are like you have to be better than everyone else mm-hmm. for them to even consider you exactly cuz otherwise nobody can take notice well i do have a question mm-hmm. for both Tim and Ayara, I've seen this actually on Instagram more than once from multiple like pages. And I've seen instances where black musicians have been told more with opera roles, like you can't do this opera role because Mm. it doesn't fit your mm-hmm. voice or your stinging stature, I guess. I don't know the specifics because I'm not a vocalist. Mm-hmm. I've seen on Instagram some of those stories being told by multiple people. And I'm wondering, have you guys ever encountered that? Whether it was like a, re- like a concert for like at school or rehearsal or even like an opera role in the professional world at all? This isn't necessarily classical per se, but in middle school, I remember experiencing this for the first time. And like back then kind of accepted it. But then now that I'm an adult, I'm like, what kind of a teacher would instill this kind of thinking into their students, right? So in our middle school musical uh, Into the Woods, I got the role of the baker's wife. And the only reason that my friend got the role as the baker was because he was also black. The one kid got a role as Jack's mother. And the only reason that the kid who got Jack got Jack is because he's white and she was white. In a school musical with middle school children, I don't think there'd be a problem with Jack's mother being white and Jack being black or the baker being black and the baker's husband being white or whatever combination of races. So this isn't in the professional world, but it is something that I think is really sad and important to talk about because as a kid, if your teacher, someone you look up to, is already instilling, hey, hey, you can't do this role because of this. Or you two, her words were, you look better together. That was her exact verbiage. You look better together. So you two will be in this role. And these two look better together. So they'll be in this role. That's so... Right? Isn't that icky? That's so messed up. Because yeah. Into the Woods is a story about like a mishmash of fairy tales yeah, that it's, put it's together. Fantasy. It's, it's not realistic. Anyway. Mm-hmm. So you could have a black parent yeah. and a white kid. And, and even if it wasn't realistic, that, 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 that's realistic a realistic thing. To accept. Yeah, that happens. Yeah. Right. It hasn't happened to me currently, and it's not in the professional sense, but it's just still icky. It's as if the middle school kids are sitting there like, oh, this show is good, but it would be better if the baker and his wife matched their skin color. Right. Nobody's thinking that. Nobody's sitting there thinking that. Right. Absolutely not. So yeah. on top of that, you know, the baker's wife falls in love with the prince, right? There's two princes. Mm -hmm. The prince that I got to fall in love with was a black prince. And Cinderella's prince was white because the person who played played Rapunzel was white. Of course. So that's how that happened. But anyway, that's Um, what happened in middle school. I still, to this day, I'm like atrocious. Awful. That's gross. Yeah. I think people, even when you're a kid, like in middle school, like people will mm-hmm. see that and be like, okay, this mm-hmm. is acceptable. Where it's like, it doesn't really matter like who plays right. what. Well, this is exactly what we were talking about in our Patreon episode with the actions of adults really influence kids. Because that's something kids might not think about. But then, hi, Bartok. But then... You know, you have adults say, oh, you look more alike, so you should be together. So then the kid has that in their sub... Can you not walk across my computer? Okay, thanks. <laughs> so then the kid has that in their subconscious. And, you know, they might carry that into the dating realm. Mm-hmm. Which is so, so effed up. Yeah. Again, it's something that you might not think about while you're saying it. And 
the kid might not realize it at the time, but then you look back 20 years later, I'm like, oh yeah, that did kind of mess me up. Mm-hmm. Same, yeah, that's what happened for me for a long time. It was always in the back of my head, like, oh, I couldn't even, like in musicals or plays in the future or anything, it always was in the back of my mind, like, oh, this person is really good at this role and they're paired with another person. So I shouldn't even try for that role because they're white and I'm black. So I'm probably not going to get it. So I wouldn't even try for some things like that. But I don't know, Tim, have you seen something more recently, like as a grown up? <laughs> yeah, I personally have not experienced this, which is uh, surprising and so great. I've not had an experience with that personally, but I'm glad you asked that question because that was the other thing I wanted to talk about is in 2020 with all of the like social justice issues going on, people of color in the opera world started to like really be like, all right, we have a problem. Not enough of us are getting hired for things. Not enough of us are getting to young artist programs. Not enough of us are, are basically getting work and being noticed for things. You know, you have shows like Aida and Othello. Mm-hmm. Aida is about Egyptians and Ethiopians, both people that live in Africa. So black people. <laughs> well, Egyptians are lighter skinned. This is true. So, but we're, I'm mostly I mean, if we're really about getting, the, yeah. 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 But I'm mostly talking about the Ethiopian part with Othello, Othello is a Moor, which is a black person. And so the main issue that would happen with those two operas is that if you had someone singing it, because it's, this is where it gets complicated because you're talking about vocal talent versus what you see. And that's another, I mean, that's just the main issue in opera in general is that it's because it's entertainment people really go off the visual way a little too much. They veered away from what it actually sounds like and who sounds good singing stuff. And it's gotten to more about who, of course, yes, sound good, but who looks better mm-hmm. doing it. I had a friend in the last little like performance I did, her voice links herself towards more the bigger stuff. So Puccini, Verdi, but she won't get casted for these things because she's a short Jewish girl. Mm-hmm. And she's very petite. Oh. So they want to put her in the lighter stuff, the Donizetti, the Rossini, and the Mozart stuff. But that's not what she sings, and that's not what her voice lends it to. So she's having those issues in auditions where people are like, yeah, you sound great, but um, we're not going to cast you for this because you don't look the part. Mm. So that's just a problem in opera in general. But specifically with being black, people started really calling people out on it to the point where they created a coalition called the Black Opera Alliance. And when I say they were going after people, I literally would see posts about different opera companies being like, they didn't sign or didn't have not been in contact with them about how they're going to make things better for people of color and would call them out on Facebook, which Atlanta Opera got called out like a couple of months ago. Mm. So they're really not playing games. But specifically with those roles, what would happen with Aida and Othello, of course, you're not always going to have a black person sing the role. It's actually very rare that I would see a black person sing these roles, even though there are plenty of people that can do it. What they would do is they would take these people, you know, most of the time European, so of white or fair skin, and then they would tan them and basically do blackface in a sense, or getting close to that. Mm -hmm. There's two different schools of thought on 
that specifically and that it's for the show. Especially with Otello, it's very necessary because that's who he was. He was, you know, has important to, do with to the, the storyline. Yeah. Yeah, it has to do with the, the plot. And then it was like, yeah, but like, we all know the story. So do we really need to do this? Only recently, like a couple of years ago, they stopped at the Met. They stopped doing that. Mm. They stopped canning these European singers' skin. And they just, you know, put them on stage as their, you know, in their own skin. Mm. Which I, I don't know how I feel about it yet. Which side I'm on on that. Yet, I'm still kind of thinking about it. Because, yeah, mm. the blackface is terrible. But also, I can get the point of, oh yeah, it technically is. But also, story, so. yeah, but it's also kind of like the whole suspension of disbelief. You're watching a production. It's not historically accurate. It's not like they're trying to portray real events, real people in a realistic way. So you have to kind of suspend that when you're watching the performance. And like you said, people know the story by now. So you're already reading into it by just watching. I mean, the inverse of that is people freaking out when they cast a black Christine for Phantom of the Opera. Mm, so I've seen this on my social media, which I guess I'm on there a lot lately, but <laughs> thank you for doing all the work for Fiddle and Pipe. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Follow us on Instagram <laughs> at Fiddle and Pipe. So I've seen a lot of ads lately for this AMC show called Anne Boleyn, which I don't have cable, so I'm not watching it, but I guess like who they cast, like she's a black actress who's playing Anne Boleyn. I've seen like a mix of comments. Like some people are like, well, why can't we just like have stories of black people from history at the time instead Mm. of like Anne Boleyn? Because we already know the story of Anne Boleyn, which I agree with. I feel like the Anne Boleyn story is, I get bored, to be really honest. I got my gist of it in 10th grade world history and I'm satisfied. I know that she dies. I feel like there's a million iterations of Anne Boleyn's story. Why do we need more? There is. Dozens. Yeah, there is. Mm-hmm. Then I've seen like another wave of comments where they're like, why is she black? And I'm sitting there, I'm like, why does it matter? Like, who cares? <laughs> like, I sit there and I'm just like, like, black people did exist in Renaissance times. It's just not told because all white people were writing history books at the time. To piggy bank <laughs> off of what Catherine just said. <laughs> piggy bank. <laughs> you, you were like, why does it? We talked about this last night. We kind of did, yeah. It's like yeah. representation for representation's sake. It's mm. like we're telling the same story over and over again, but this time it's we have a black person, Matt so and I we're we're, about we're woke. That's a valid yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. like the Marvel and DC and movies and all. Yes. The up, was the uproar about casting a black Superman or something? Yes. This kind of stuff actually gets under my skin. Oh, I didn't hear about it. It's this. not confirmed, but people keep talking about it, like should the next Superman be black or something? How about like no more Superman? There's like 15 Yeah, Superman exactly. Movies. We've seen Superman story to death. Right? We've seen James Bond to so death. The last so long and so boring. Yeah. yeah We've seen these stories so many times. Create some new characters. If you want to give black people role models, that's great. Give us our own people. So We shouldn't have to specify. It's like, oh, I like Superman, but the black Superman because he looks like me. So or whatever like that. For those of you who don't know, my husband David is a big comic guy, big superhero guy. And he gets really pissed about this kind of stuff because he says, you know, both Marvel and DC have black superheroes. Exactly. There are plenty of them. Of color. They have LGBTQ+, plus, but they just refuse to make them popular. So they're just taking popular characters and making them black, making them queer. 
Exactly. Well, it's like, why are you trying to rewrite characters that already exist? Why not make others more popular? It's fine to have all these white but characters. But Shang-Chi and we have Black Panther mm-hmm. and then like, that's it. It's like Marvel's like, okay, cool, exactly. done. There's one black superhero, exactly. there's one Chinese superhero. We're done. Yeah. No more diversity needed. And it's mm-hmm. like... They're doing better with the movie. It's better, least, but, but it's... It is still... It's, there's more characters. It's, yeah, it's, it's still a process yeah. because... Like, you think about the Avengers from, like, when it first mm-hmm. came out, like, in 2012 versus, like, today. You have Black Panther. Mm-hmm. And that's yep. pretty much it. It's everybody else is the same. I guess the point is just not making stuff black is the right answer. Right. Yeah, that's not the solution. It's just... Yeah. Put black people in productions and in art and in entertainment. There's also a story behind black characters and how they came about. So if you're just like painting over a white story with a black brush, it doesn't say anything. It doesn't relate to people. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and especially in something like comics. Yeah. Where it's like, first of all, it's not even based in realities. What does it matter? But if you're talking about historical figures, I almost see it as kind of disrespectful to be like, Here's Anne Boleyn, and she's black, but with none of the context of what being black in that time period would be. Kind of similar to, what is that show called? I can't think of the name. Really popular. Bridgerton. Bridgerton. Yeah. Throwing black people into Bridgerton doesn't make it like suddenly, Mm -hmm. oh, it's so relatable. Like, I'm glad that that they're casting more black people in it, but it's just kind of like, I yeah. think we're here. There was a storyline about... Yeah, they did address it in the show, mm-hmm. which was interesting. I feel like it's not substantial. But anyway, that's a whole other, <laughs> that's a whole other topic. Yeah. I think the main thing about that, the whole thing that was just spoken about, because it was kind of a lot, is that <laughs> when you do something like that, for representation's sake, you're not really representing anything. Yeah, you're, you're not. not. Like you said, you're not telling the story. You're, these kids, these young black kids, these young, you know, whatever race they are they're not learning about their culture through this story they're just like oh but you know black and Berlin. same story she's just a negro like yeah. that's it and like you said instead of it being like actual cultural like yeah the uh, context is everything mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, i mean it's stupid and it's even <laughs> for someone like me most of my favorite characters growing up i didn't care if they were like me or looked like me or whatever for me it was always just i relate to this character Mm -hmm. because of their backstory because of whatever Mm -hmm. the race was always a secondary thing for me it's almost like they're trying to make it a priority right before they even make the character or the story interesting well, it just seems like they're making it a priority now yeah. because of everything that happened mm-hmm. in 2020, which I totally understand that. But it's like, don't do that just because of that. You could do yeah, other Yeah, don't make things. it Wokonomics. Yeah. Wokonomics. I was thinking, like was it just a second priority of yours because it had to mm-hmm. be? Right. Right. And like, I use Star Wars as an example, Rogue One. There were a couple Asian characters that they literally threw into that movie just to market towards the... Chinese movie market. Mm-hmm. But they weren't interesting characters, they were just there. To jump on what you said about race not being a big deal to you when you were watching these characters, and I can agree in that, like, if I watched something, it was about the story mm-hmm. and about the characters. But when you saw someone that looked oh, yeah. like you, mm-hmm. for sure. The additive to the additive, yeah. like, yeah. feeling like really to that, exciting. I think that's what it's about. Exactly. You and want an interesting character first, and if they happen to right. be like, 
oh, I relate to him even more because of that. Right, exactly. I have the perspective of, for me, it really did matter. Like, really, really did. Because all my favorite movies and everything had white characters, and I went to, it could be because of my schooling too, I went to an all-white school pretty much at the time, like a rich, affluent, Upper East Side of New York white school. And so being at school, being one of the only two black girls in my whole class, and like one of the only, what, five in my whole elementary school at the time, plus watching only white characters in movies, I genuinely thought that there was something wrong with me being black. This is sad. I'm over it now, obviously. But as a kid, I would pray that I could turn white, you know? Or I would like look at the palm of my hand and be like, oh man, why can't the rest of me be white? Or like watch characters in movies and be like, why can't I be like them? Back then in the 90s, we didn't really have a lot of children's movies. I mean, there was like black entertainment television, which was cool. But to me, it really didn't matter seeing my like, right? right? That was the day. Martin, what else? Yeah, exactly. Girlfriends. We had stuff like that, but I couldn't relate to those. Those are adult shows. They were great shows and I loved them, but I didn't see myself in them because they're about adults. But when it came to kids' movies and things, because I didn't see myself, for me, it really, really did matter. It really did matter. And I see that too. I mean, if you think about Disney, mm-hmm. Disney didn't come out with anything. Princess and the Frog came out, what, 2002? It was nine, oh, nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nine? Around that time. Like, that, I feel like that was, like, the first movie. Yeah. Really. We forgot Song of the South. Somebody that's not a yes. Disney movie. and it, it meant a lot to me even back oh, in the day. Well, like, I don't yeah. know if you guys remember how obsessed I was with Princess and the Frog back in college. Oh, yeah, you had a friggin' on your door. Yeah, because she looks like me. And that was the first time. And I see that too, actually, because this goes back to what Tim was saying. When it comes to like casting process, it's like a lot of times you see a black woman and it's like there are certain types of women you expect a black woman to play. Why are you gesturing towards me? Like this black woman (laughs) right here. In movies and shows and stage adaptations, there are so many stereotypes. If you're a black woman, chances are you've played a sassy black woman at some point in your career. That's just a natural stereotype. The sassy black woman, you played the help. The mysterious voodoo lady or something. There's all these stereotypes. So when people are going through that casting process, they already have that picture in their head. So it's like, okay, I could see you playing, you know, one of these three characters or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's kind of frustrating because on one hand, it's great to be able to break out of that box. But I feel like a lot of people aren't necessarily doing it the right way. Yeah, yeah. I would even say like Princess and the Frog, even though it was great to see a character that looks like me and like little girl Nayara would have gone nuts about a character that looks just like her, same skin color, similar hairstyle, everything. There's a lot of stereotypes in Princess and the Frog. Oh, yeah. And she is a frog. And she spends half the movie as a frog. She's a frog for the whole movie. And Naveen, Prince Naveen. I mean, Prince Naveen, he's fine as fine. Why? If I do say so myself. However, (laughs) why couldn't he have been a black prince? Interracial relationships, interracial couples, it's totally fine. But I wonder, like, why it had to be... As long as they both have dark skin, though. Right, right. But I wonder why they couldn't have also shown that as well like why did it have to be you know you know why did your first thing have to be with a white guy yeah it's black but it's not too black Mm -hmm. well yeah where was he from in that wasn't it like a like i think like a a made-up mediterranean spain north african country from what i've (laughs) 
I want to say start with an, an M. Oh, or ma- like that. I watched it recently. Not Macedonia. Madol- I want to say Moldova. It's not it's Macedonia. It's like that's a real country, right? Macedonia. Am I making that up? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It is. Madagascadonia. <laughs> Macedonia is a real country. Google say mm-hmm. Princess and the Frog. I was trying to like figure out how to spell that for a second. It just makes me really sad, Nara, that you feel like that because I was thinking about that for the last few minutes, and I can't remember a time in my childhood or adolescence or I guess maybe not adolescence because everyone kind of wishes that there was someone else or looked different but I can't remember a time in my childhood where I wished I had different hair color or different skin color Mm. or that's heartbreaking to hear yeah I'm sorry that you went through that I've heard middle schoolers say even things like black people have no dignity oh ah that hurts is that really what you think about yourself like you that really hurts. Grow up thinking that. I mean, I grew up thinking that about myself. There's yeah. a lot of self-hatred for sure. I grew up thinking that white was better because people would say things to me like, Matt, you don't talk like other black people. You talk white. You're basically and white. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I took that as a compliment, but that's really fucked up to say. Yeah. Yeah. I remember middle school, there were kids who would like gave me black lessons. <laughs> Because I talk so yeah, white. Black but, lesson, like, here's how to be more black. Right, black lessons were having lower vocabulary, speaking, yes. speaking like in a specific way, dressing <laughs> a certain way. Say motherfucker every two sentences. Right, but like, how is that being black? <laughs> like, to, to, it's, it's exactly. to dumb yourself down mm. is not what blackness is. Yeah. Yeah, that's where these stereotypes come from, and that's why people get put into these categories when it comes to entertainment. Mm. And it's the perception of this is how some black people are, so that must be how all of them are. Yes. Actually, I just remembered something. Are you piggy banking? I am piggy banking. Piggy bank. (laughs) Actually, it's a part of black history. February. Right. Check out our Patreon. So, <laughs> y'all were talking about this and it popped in my head because I've been talking about it all week because I saw this. So, there's a documentary that's coming out about Marian Anderson. Marian Anderson is very important in the classical world because she is the first African American to perform in a principal role at the Met Opera. Oh, damn. She was the first. She performed hmm. Ulrika in Un Balo Masquera by Verdi. So she's like the concert master of the opera. I was going to say, I don't know what that is, but I'm sure she's better than me. Good for her. <laughs> right. So It's um, like being a concert master, yeah. Brittany. Wow. So the importance of this and why I brought it <laughs> up and you talking about people getting cast in certain roles because of black. So they're playing. Ulrika was the gypsy, like she's the gypsy witch woman, woman in this show. And, I don't think but, you can say gypsy anymore, by the way. I think gypsy's a racial slur. Right. I mm, you're right. I remember. I think it's Roma. Yeah. But you get you get my point. Yeah. Ooh, how are we gonna watch Hunchback of Notre Dame now? Like witch. In this documentary that I only saw snippets of because I just watched a preview, but because I, I need I don't know when it's released. But Ulrika in the show, her uh, voice part is a contralto. Okay. Contralto. Contralto. That's what I thought it was for so long. Is that really how you say it? Yeah, contralto. Yeah. Contralto. Did you really just say contralto? I did not yeah, know I've that. Been, <laughs> you learned something new. In my head, like, contra-alto. Because, like, lower than alto. Yeah, but they just, contra- since, it, since it's the yeah, same vowel, they just thought. combine it. <laughs> Catherine's in the same boat as me. Contralto. So, 
technically controls. I like that. So, like, the voice parts are different than, like, in choral things. So, like, Mm -hmm. in opera, women's voices, it's coro soprano, soprano, mezzo-soprano, contralto. And that covers alto. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Take notes. Be on the test. Yeah, I didn't know this. Yeah. That is good. I thought it was below alto. <laughs> yeah, too. I was like lower than alto because like contra bassoon is lower than bassoon. Yeah. Wow. I mean, we're just instrumentalists. Yeah, what do fine. we know? Apparently, Matt knew though. So yeah. So I talked to singers twenty four seven. My point behind this is is in the documentary they're talking about her. The reason why she was uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Contra alto. <laughs> marketed as a contralto is because she was black. Because Marian Anderson was not a contralto. She was a soprano. Oh. Sacrilege. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So, but because most of the time, sopranos, what were they? They were the lead roles. They were the lead romantic roles. So they would have to sing with a tenor, baritone, whatever. And what were those men most of the time? European, because no black man has been singing in major roles yet. Although one did show up literally right after that. But that... Even then, like, that's how that affected this woman's career. I mean, she was very capable. You can find a recording of her singing that role, and she does an amazing job. Mm -hmm. But she was marketed as contralto because she was black, not because that's what she was, because she wasn't. You know, her range was, she had a very extended range. She could sing extremely high, she could sing extremely low. To the point of what we're talking about, I mean, you see that back in history, and people came along literally not too long after her debut, which was like in 1965, I believe. Not too long after that, Leontine Price, which is like one of the black soprano names you will hear mm-hmm. and probably have heard of before, she ends up being like the first African American to have like a leading contract with the man. So she'll see, she literally just lived there basically, like would sing there all the time. And of course, she's sang around the world as well, but. And which is to my point of earlier being like we've been doing this for years and mm-hmm. and killing it, but yeah. So I don't know where my point was going, but I just this happens. I go on a rant <laughs> and I get people with my brain. You were talking about how black people get casted in certain things, especially back in the day, mm-hmm. and that's you even saw that in a case where a woman who had to sing a part that. Well, technically, she, she, yeah. exactly. she had no business singing. She did it and did it well. Mm-hmm. Technically, she shouldn't have been singing that. Right. She should have been singing like Nora or some mess. <laughs> right. That's the leading role of an opera. They would never. Well, it just seems like also like it might have affected her physically because like if she can't hit super low stuff, isn't that pushing the limits like on your you body can be at some point? It would explain. Yes, you are 100% correct. And it would explain why. That that run of performances was the only operatic performance you will ever see her in because that's the only one she did. Mm-hmm. She never ever after that did a full performance like of an mm-hmm. opera. She would just do recitals. I didn't so, realize that she either. Be seeing contralto <gasps> stuff. She would sing soprano. Stuff, I did not so. know that. That was the only one she did. Yeah. That's wow. Insane. Wow. It's yeah. February. We out here educating people on Black history. Yeah, yeah. I had no idea about that with Marion Anderson. Mm. Good girls for days. Yeah, I do feel like it's easier in the string world because it's less about what you look like mm-hmm. when you're just holding a hunk of wood in your hand. Yeah. Um, although there are still stereotypes about what type of instruments <laughs> black people will play. That's what she said. But then I heard your laugh. Yeah, but you're the one over there incoming, so. Um, <laughs> don't, ha- having, don't. Having, 
It's a city in Georgia, you perverts. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, it we're is. not lying. Look it up. It's a big city. It is. Oh, it is a very coming is large. A, coming city. is big. Mm-hmm. Apparently, there's a church over there called Coming. No. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. You know what they be doing in there? <laughs> um. I just remember somebody in high school told me that when they were going to yeah, I'm going to coming first, and like that's where it was, and I was just coming like, first. <laughs> I'm like, bruh, nice. But yeah, it, it, when it comes to playing violin in particular, you know, people are like, a black man playing the violin that that instrument is too small and dainty for a black man to play. I was gonna say it's probably like kind of expected that you play bass. Yeah, when you see a black man with a bass, it's like, oh. But they assume you do jazz. Yeah, and right? then they also assume you do jazz, and they have to be like, oh. That is wild about the violin. The violin is one of the most difficult instruments <laughs> ever. It really is. I'm nodding. Ever. But, yeah. I don't want to. Even it's it's stop it's painful. That. Yeah. As, as, yes. as someone who's played the violin a it's lot painful. in the past two years, it has kicked my butt. There's nothing natural about it. Yeah. They're, one of my favorite groups is called Black Violin. It is two black guys. Yes, I know about them. They went to Lamont not too long ago. But one of my favorite things that they do is, I mean, they go around and they talk about how they like to destroy people's perceptions of what black men do with music. Because it's a violinist and a violist. Exactly, a violinist and a violist, and you see a six-foot black man on violin, not the most common thing in the world, Mm -hmm. you know? So what have we learned today? Black people are good. (laughs) <laughs> we are very good at the notes yes and we are very good at different types and genres of notes like jazz yes and r&b jazz r&b and that's it that's and all rapping hip-hop rapping. and blues yes. yeah that's, that's all it. we do that's it mm-hmm. but not rap Opera that's for that's people. for white people rap is for white people uh, only eminem only eminem and beastie <laughs> boys if you kind of count them as rap beastie boys like, Kind of rap rock. Random. Okay, re- really quick tangent. Y'all know the rapper Logic? Yes. No. I've heard you talk about him. Black Spider-Man. Definitely heard so his name. I, he's pretty white as well. Mm-hmm. But apparently he has just enough black in him because he dropped the N-word in one of his songs. And I was like... Oh, damn. Doesn't he identify as black, though? Logic? He has like just Wait. enough black in him to get away with it. Did you I thought he identify was identify as black? You either are black or aren't. Because there are some people who like choose to forego their, their blackness, sort of. But he's mixed. He's mixed, so like... He's mixed. So like... Mixed with okay. what? With so, white. Apparently, there's black in there. I didn't look yeah, black. Apparently, there's black in there. Half white. He look white as hell. He, do look, he look like a nerdy white boy, exactly. Yeah. He, he looks was born very white. Sir Robert Bryan Hall II. Yeah, that's the white. There ain't no black in there. Oh, See, wait, 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 wait. No, I'm there, so confused. But, but no, there actually is. Though. Name. So, like, I, I only know if you can be like mixed race and identify as only one. Well, race. see, that's that seems weird. That's the thing. I think the thing is there are some mixed people that I've met who like kind of forego their blackness, sort of, because they can look a certain way. But there are some mixed people who yeah, might look white but say yeah. I'm black and take on their blackness. You yeah, know what I mean? He looks white. Right. But his dad is black, so he can claim that. Right. And I was like, because I heard hmm. him say the N-word in a song. I was like, can he can he do that? For that, me personally, I don't necessarily agree okay? with using the N-word So he can. All, but I think like. Right. But I, I mean, I thought he is black. So he's. He's half he's black. He's half black. Mm-hmm. Even though he looks like a nerdy he white boy. He looks extremely white. Ah, uh, right, right, right. Yeah, so. 
I don't know, but if you don't look the part, can you? He's if a, you have, he got away with it, so. Every time he performs that song. Like, we can't, like, you can't say that. It's just like. <laughs> he pull out his birth certificate. Right. He pull out his birth certificate every time. Because like, that, that goes into right. another, so, another yeah. sect of kind of racism, I think, in a way. because it, Or gay, not racism, gatekeeping in a way. Because it's like, yeah, yeah, somebody can look not black, but are black. And. Right. Can. I mean, but if they choose. That doesn't mean they're any less black. Not so. that I. Right. Think yeah. anywhere, but yeah. But yeah, that, I mean, you're right. That is another form of whatever gatekeeping, gatekeeping. Like you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, within the black community itself. Yeah. Where mm-hmm. Chris Rock has a great uh, stand-up bit where he's like, "Black people are the most racist because we hate black people too." <laughs> of course, it, he would say that. It's kind of true, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Unfortunately. Well, thank you all for coming on with us. And thank you all for learning about Seriously, black music. Seriously, thank you. This is so fun. The most enriching episode yeah. we've had in a while. <laughs> Sounds like you need to have us yeah. on more often. I'd be happy to come on back. That was so great. Good we conversation. We can fill your quota for you. <laughs> I mean, we do have a quota. Yeah. We need three-fifths of our Yes. Yeah, <laughs> 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 oh, no. <laughs> no, but... Thank you. Seriously. Yeah, thank you. I just want to say that I appreciate y'all for like wanting to be able to share this, to talk about this type of stuff because what other platform is there, you know, out there, you know, doing this, at least from the podcast mm-hmm. of, with two white women being able to be like, hey, mm-hmm. why not? I mean, of course, yes, it's Black History Month, but it's still just like, I appreciate it. Musicians got to support musicians. To share our experience and our stories as black people in in classical music. Right. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that you're continuing the conversation past when it's kind of like trendy to talk about it and trendy to give black people more spaces. We're kind of past where it was cool thing to do. And so I'm really appreciative that you're still providing that space. So thank you. This is great. Of course. Yeah. We're, We're happy to be a very small part. Then making this maybe a little bit better. <laughs> uh, it starts with the first yeah. step. Yes. Y'all are the best. Is there anything that y'all want to plug? Yeah, seriously. As usual, here's my computer. I'm going to charge it since we're plugging things. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> um, but no, of course, uh, plug it. check out. Mmm. Conversation. Oh it's not. Sorry. I can't do it. As, you have the vocal training behind it. So, okay. Here's the real title. Conversation. You have the breathiness. My mic just went wild. <laughs> it, it, it went to coming. It went to coming. Oh. Um, it's a city in Georgia. Speaking of come. But yes, of course. Delicious conversations with your boy, the diplomat, and of course, Marshall Bruce Mathers the third. <laughs> yeah, one for Nayara. <laughs> and of course, tell me the date. Take a look at your calendar. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> oh my god. Um, and we'll we'll before. be talking about some black stuff this month as well too. So if you like black things, head over there. Like bar talk. Mm, conversations on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Banana Podcasts. Pair podcast, whatever platform you want to go to, it's there. Catherine, we gotta get on these platforms. <laughs> you gotta I get know. on all the fruits. What the you hell? already know what it is. What happened? I'm like, man. 
Maybe that will increase our popularity. It's 2022. We just have so many platforms. Shoutouts to Fiddle and Pipe. You guys. Fiddle and Pipe. The squad. (laughs) Did you want to plug your YouTubes? Yes. So, of course, being a classical singer, unfortunately, I have to share my art with the world. A lot of times, even though sometimes I don't want to, but you can find me on YouTube. Just look up my name, Timothy Marshall, put in baritone or whatever with it, and I should pop up. You'll see a black man singing opera. (laughs) Named Tim. Yes, yes. uh, The the ones I have to put up, they're on my phone still, but the ones I have to put put up soon, they're for uh, competition. But there's still stuff up there from, like, the past. My senior recital is still up, which is... Hilarious. You've seen your recital. <laughs> I want to watch it. <laughs> but yeah. But I also, before, I let, like, before we go, I wanted to, like, this is an education moment. Take a moment. Try and listen to, like, these three artists of the past. So, of course, like I, I talked about her earlier, Marion Anderson. You can find anything with her. She actually, she's staying at the Lincoln Memorial. It's, like, what she's really known for, and that's the first thing that will pop up when you look up her name, but try and find something else. You can find her singing opera. That would be great. So that's one. The next person, Lantine Price. She was like the first African-American woman to have like a major contract with the Metropolitan Opera. And she's amazing. And I listen to her, something from her every day because it's just so good. And then I guess I'll do a current artist. Lawrence Brownlee. There's another one. Lawrence he's Brownlee. A, he's a tenor. Sang at Emory a couple of years ago. I uh, went to see that and he's amazing. But he's like a, he's a Rossini tenor because there's a specific Qualification. I didn't different. even know that. Oh, girl. Again. Education. Okay, no. Education. So, real quick, just certain voices are able to do certain things. So, like, a Rossini tenor cannot sing Verdi. Whereas, like, y'all play everything. We can't do that. We can't sing everything. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I guess you could say we're better, but I mean. <laughs> <laughs> are we? And also, one more, one more artist. Do you want some real opera? Um, there's this uh, one guy named Timothy Marshall. Um, he, I don't know, he's killing it right now. He's a current artist. Is he black? And he's a, he's black, and he's actually in the Atlanta area. Oh. So kind of near coming, actually. So, <laughs> so if you want some like uh, real Just look up like Timothy singing, yeah. Oh no! Oh man, that's funny. Oh my god. But in all seriousness, uh, Matt and Ayara, do either of you have any black uh, artists, musicians that y'all would like to recommend? I have recommended Black Violin, of course. That's a good one to start with. Esperanza. And Esperanza Spalding. Please watch Esperanza Spalding. Another thing to think about is that we are also a book podcast, so if y'all know any black authors Mm -hmm. for our listeners and maybe even ourselves to look into... Um, I will talk to my sister because she's probably knows more than I do. I've been trying to kind of compile a list because I'm obsessed with choir music, obviously. And so I have been trying to compile a list of black conductors of choirs. The problem is that's it's it's harder to find in the choir sphere. But Tim, help me out. But can you do you know? Are you agreeing with me? I know a couple only because I've worked with them. We have Andre Thomas. Oh, he yes. Is, Andre Thomas. Uh, the conductor at FS, one of the conductors at FSC. Yes, Sound um, Florida State. Um, gosh, gosh. Um, There's a couple more that my brain is name? not coming up with right now. Oh, uh, who's at Morehouse? Ah. Who's at Morehouse? Uh, Frick. 
If you look up the conductor at Morehouse, that's that's another one. Yes. You can look up Moses Hogan Christopher and you'll find Morehouse? a whole bunch of stuff. That'll be great. Thank too. you. So Christopher Morehouse. I don't think that. Or, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, at Morehouse. Director of bands and uh, western music. Oh, that's at Southern Illinois. I got. Uh, David Morrow. Yes, I'm pretty sure that's him. That sounds about right. In terms yeah, of, I don't right. know anybody who's going to be looking for quiet like, choral composers that are black that are great, but Victor C. Johnson is one of them. Rollo Dilworth is another one of them. Rosephine Powell is another one, a black female mm-hmm. choral composer. But I don't know how many people listening are going to be looking for choir music. But if you are, <laughs> yeah, those are some really. I would suggest like. Operas by black composers, but those are going to be extremely hard to find. You may be able to find most recently the for the, the first black uh, opera composed by a black person was debuted at the Met. Okay. Uh, Spire "Shut Up in My Bones" by Terrence Blanchard, I think is how you pronounce his name. So if you can, you may be able to find like a recording of it on Spotify. I don't think you'll be able to find like a video recording as of right now, just because I don't I don't know how available that is, but. Hopefully soon. I know that since the Met did it, I think they did it this season. At some point, that'll be be available on like their stuff. So mm-hmm. at some point, I will rebuy a subscription to that just to watch that, and then probably not continue after. <laughs> 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 but yeah. Fair, fair. Thank you all for yeah. coming on our show, and thank you for having us. We're happy to. I guess on that note, uh, we will have to end this week's episode, and we'll see you next week for. Whatever we have planned next. Yep, live from coming. <laughs> live from coming. Good question. We'll, we'll figure, figure it out. out. Until next time. Bye. 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 Catherine, our ending slogan is starting to be end on that note, which I guess kind of fits because we're musicians. Oh, I get it because notes. Yeah. Oh, I guess I should stop the recording. Yeah.